Good morning. No, no. Beautiful Canada Day. I didn't see the fireworks, but I heard them last night for about a half an hour. I guess I could have got up and looked out the window, but anyway, nice to be here. We are gone uh, for about three weeks. I want to thank, I want to circulate some appreciation. Uh, I want to thank Reverend Tammy Banting. I want to thank um, Reverend Carmione Owen and also Mandy Trapp for filling in. It's the longest period of time I've taken a break in 20 years, so it was really, really good, really good. I'm grateful to be home and... Um, so let's, let's move into our practice. Let's uh, invite you. I didn't bring my chime today, and that's okay, because I know that you can go into silence whether I ring a bell or not. Who's Pavlov when you've got <laughs> bright, aware people, huh? All right. So I'm going to invite you to just drop into silence with me, and then I'm going to offer us, uh, we'll sing our song, our chant in this very room, and offer a prayer. So let's begin. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you to just notice your breathing in this moment. And as you take in the next breath, I invite you to take it in through your nose. Hold it for a bit and release it. And what I know in that as we settle into this moment is there's only one life, one power, one infinite divine intelligence. That life is source. That life is spirit. That life is in and through and as each and every one of us, in us, around us, and through us. It is a vibration. It is an energy. And so as we lift ourselves up in awareness and open ourselves to this realization that that one life is our life, something at that energetic level shifts and changes. And so I know that something beautiful is awaiting our attention, that where we put our attention is where we place our energy. And so may we come together today in the awareness and the contemplation and the opportunity to understand that each thought is a, a seed of possibility that gets planted in this infinite field. And the nature of the seed and the tending of the seed and the nurturing of the seed provides the perfect outcome based on the subjective nature of our ability to nurture, tend, and allow to flourish.
So in this knowing and in this process, I give thanks for this day, knowing that everything important that each and every one of us, whether it's through the spoken word or through simply stepping into the container of unconditional love and the vibration of the Most High, this unified field, that each one of us is blessed and shifted and transformed in this moment. For this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. All righty. So I wanted to share with you, uh, this month is a month around wholeness in July. And wholeness is a really um, important concept. I think it's one of the core concepts of, of um, what spiritual, the spiritual journey represents. And uh, a wonderful book here by Dr. Holmes called Words That Heal Today, which is, is not one of his most popular um, articulations, and probably because in it he really expands upon the life and the teachings of Jesus quite a bit in terms of the, the energetics and the, the consciousness that, that that contains. But the next, the next image that comes up is the, the, the symbol of the yin and the yang, the black and the white. And the, the Chinese have known for thousands of years that the spiritual journey requires both the light and the darkness, that we cannot simply affirm the light by denying the other parts of ourselves. So I want to talk a little bit about that. There are three things that I wanted to talk to you today about that were sort of inspired by our time away and some of the, uh, the awarenesses that came to me. One is this idea of unified field or coherence or oneness. We are teaching of oneness. There's only one life. That life is God's life. That life is my life now. That's not anything new to the Buddhists or to the Hindus. Um, it's a bit of a, of a foreign concept in terms of Western theology, but it's the, it's the truth that we celebrate. So oneness is very important. The other is that it's not what's, what is said, but who says it. And that's really around uh, who we are being when we say things, because I think that wholeness is really around embracing both the light and the dark within us. It's not a, it's not a concept that I think is, is um, embraced a whole lot, but it is something that's very, very important. And then what seeds are you planting? What seeds are we planting? So those three ideas today that I'd like to, to, to uh, discuss with you. So the next slide is a, actually a field of mustard seed. And uh, there's a wonderful parable that Jesus shared um, around the mustard seed. It's one of his shortest. It's also one of his most profound. And the reason he started teaching from parables is it allowed him to continue to preach without uh, putting himself in danger with the, the status quo, the people at the time that questioned who he was and what he was doing. But the parable reads um, like this, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the bird of the air the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. And so quite short, but quite significant. And many people have taken this parable and interpreted it as, well, he was talking about the, the idea of the church. Because if you're a traditional Christian, it's all about the church. And so from a small seed, something beautiful can grow. From a small seed, something of enough stature and strength that something less, more vulnerable can land upon it and be supported. And that... Um, it also speaks to, I think, in, in how we look at spirituality and the journey. It speaks to uh, the quality of the seed and the soil, all of those things and the conditions that go into it. Mustard seeds, in doing my research for this, are, grow most proficiently at 45 degrees Fahrenheit. If the ground is 45 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a good time to plant a mustard seed. 
The other thing to know about mustard seeds is once you plant them and they start to grow and they take root, they're almost impossible to get rid of. So if you're going to be inspired to go out and buy some mustard seed plant, uh, seeds, you're, you're probably, they'll probably be with you from now until ever, like, like buying a parrot. I had a friend that had a parrot. And I said, how long do these things live? He said, oh, about 110 years. I said, oh, okay, <clears throat> I'll pass on the parrot. But anyway, this idea, so what, what I think Jesus was talking about was this idea that it, it, it can start very small. And small seed planted in the right conditions and tended in the appropriate ways can, can flourish, which is what, really what I think is our opportunity. So why doesn't that happen for us? Or why is it that I do the same affirmative prayer, the same affirmation over and over and over again, and yet my results don't line up with what I long to experience? So when we were in um, one of the journeys we took, we did the advanced workshop with Dr. Joe Dispenza. And um, we had done his progressive and we'd done a bunch of his research online and we've used his books, uh, You Are the Placebo and How to Break the Habit of Being Yourself. But one of the things Dr. Joe talks about a great deal, and he uses science, so it's really nice because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't use any language, he doesn't mention God too much. He talks about divine once in a while, but that's about it. So he doesn't want to use language to create barriers because... You know, in, in that room, there could be a lot of people with, with hurts from traditional religions. You know, all of a sudden, uh, the definitions get in the way of what he's trying to convey. So he's really, he's really quite adept at uh, sharing this perspective from a very energetic, scientific perspective. So he uses the term unified field. And the next, oh, there it is right there. So the unified field, if you look, this, the, the two uh, columns on the left, one, two, one, two, they're both co- correlated or they're incoherence. And the one on the right is not incoherence. So what happens, and we'll talk about this today at two o'clock, I'm gonna do a little bit of teaching about coherence in the unified field if you have an opportunity to join us for that, that meditation. But the more we can understand about how this works, so what happens with, with uh, incoherence is that we have a lot of things that, has anyone ever had experiences that they remember from the past that, that distract you from the present moment? Anybody? Okay, yeah, a few of us. But what happens is that, that we have experiences, and sometimes they're traumatic experiences, sometimes they're things that, that, that um, don't allow us to move into coherence, because coherence is a frequency. If I had a whiteboard here, Joe had a big whiteboard out, ta- talked about this, taught on it for days and days. But so where we, when we're in matter, when we're in the particle field, there's our emotions, there's our beliefs, there's our opinions, there's the, the influences of, of politics and commerce and finance and health, and there's all the things that, and th- th- there's so many things that come at us now, especially in a, a time period where information is so readily available with the internet, it can be confusing and distracting. And so it can has a tendency to create incoherence with us. How do we fix this? How do I do this? How do I approach that? And so we're in the field, pretty much in the field of matter or substance, trying to solve problems and resolve things and come to some clarity or to some coherence in that field of matter. And so what spiritual practice does is it will help us understand that that's part of the human experience. That's why we've shown up. But there's another field, there's another frequency, and that is the unified field. And it's a shift and change. It's not based on any of this stuff. That stuff can still be there. We don't have to destroy it, we don't have to dissolve it, but we simply have to realize that, okay, that's one level, that's one frequency, that's one way of being in the world. 
And it's a very popular way of being in the world. There's also a way through spiritual practice, through meditation, through mindfulness, through prayer, through a walking meditation, whatever it may be, through making our work our prayer, that lifts us up into the unified field. Dr. Holmes understood this when he crafted his version of affirmative prayer. First thing we do is we realize there's one life. And that life is God or spirit or source or whatever, whatever designator that we feel inspired to. And in that, we're recognizing, and in the second step of that prayer is that that life is my life. So it's the attempt to lift ourselves up into the kingdom. So the very kingdom that Jesus said, Jesus in, in the Gospels of Matthew, he referred to the kingdom of heaven 32 times. So it was important to him. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man takes and plants and it, it grows into a beautiful plant that eventually the birds of the air can land upon. So this whole idea of the kingdom and the unified field are one and the same. It's coherence. So how do we lift ourselves up into coherence? Now some people will, will force this. I know there's, 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 there, there, there's, there's ways of doing it that I've heard about. I haven't experienced them, but I know there's times where the idea is that, well, if I take a pharmaceutical or some, some, uh, you know, some drug, it'll move me into the unified field. Um, don't know about that. I, I don't recommend that. I, I'm not drawn to that. But I do know that that's the longing to, to be lifted out, out of this world of what would feel like suffering at times. And the Buddha said life is suffering. But Dr. Holmes in his beautiful book called Words That Heal Today, wrote this. And it's actually the chapter called The Kingdom. And he said, first of all, he said, think about God and God will think about you. Isn't that interesting? But we have to initiate it. Otherwise, this infinite presence does not enter in relationship. He also said, turn from your mistakes, turn in thought to God, and God will turn to you. Uh, Yogananda Paramahansa, or Paramahansa Yogananda said, my only prayer was God, God, God. He just knew. He would go there. And of course, for him, he'd practiced enough, so it took him right into that relationship, what, we, what Dr. Joe would call the unified field, which Jesus would call the kingdom. So Dr. Holmes continues, he said, when we turn from destructive emotions, they are no longer fed by the creative imagination. Anybody here ever had a, a destructive, a negative emotion that is fed by your imagination? Yeah, so we're really good at that. We got that one down. A transformation takes place when love destroys hate by absorbing it in its divine flame. The negative state which we have created by unhappiness cannot be healed by adding more unhappiness nor by analyzing the unhappiness we already have. Rather, it is healed as we turn to the contemplation of wholeness. The contemplation of wholeness. So wholeness represents an ability and a capacity to understand that we embody all, that all of it goes with us. The light and the dark go with us because it's okay. It's okay to have the dark. It's just we get a chance. We always get to choose. Do I live from that or not? Filling the consciousness with, with joy lifts grief out of itself until it no longer exists. So he's talking the very same thing. He's talking about this transformation of consciousness lifting up into the unified field, into oneness. He was quoted, uh, the next slide is, there's nothing between us and the kingdom of God but our own mistakes. Nothing but our own mistakes. And then we end up judging ourselves for our own mistakes. So we, we can become our own worst critics at that time. So this whole idea of the unified field is so important because we spent time in, in, um, in Mexico with Dr. Joe. Last Sunday, 
we got there at four o'clock in the morning. 500 people showed up. Everybody was on time. We did a four-hour meditation. And he took us through a process over and over again of, of through the body, through the breath work. A lot of it, a lot of this is, and I'll share some of this at two o'clock today. But a lot of this is breath work. And there's actually, next week I want to talk more about this, this uh, uh, primary self. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the pineal. Because what happens through the breath work, and Jill's got all this science down, it's beautiful. But the pineal gets activated. And the pineal, even the ancients knew, the pineal looks like a little pine cone. It's represented, he was showing us pictures. The Pope has on his staff a pine cone. The ancient Indian, uh, Egyptians had pine cones that represented the pineal. Because when we use the breath to activate the pineal, all of a sudden the unified field becomes more available. And so we were doing this over and over again. It was a four-hour meditation. I made it for three hours and 50 minutes, and then my bladder said no, and I had to... It's like, I know I can make this. I know we're getting to the end here. But it was remarkable because when you're in that, in that incubator of possibility, when you spend isolated time developing that, so what happens in that is this field gets created. A unified field gets created. The same thing happens when we go to John of God. This Joe was telling us the same stories. He said he's talking about doing one of his workshops. And in, 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 in the workshop, one of the people in the workshop mentioned that he, he was in the meditation and, and he had a brain tumor, showed up for a healing. And he could feel as if someone had made an incision on the side of his head. And he could feel some, something happening. And he went back home after this. Now there was no real incision, but it felt like it. He went back home and he had his brain scan done. And the doctor said, well, the tumor's gone. What happened? And it's very much similar to what happens in Abhijanya when you get together with five, 600 people. You sit in a, in a room together and you just simply meditate. You get quiet. And you love God the way you know God. And there's people there that speak English and some that don't. And they've got all the people there speaking as many languages as they're in the room. And there's amazing things that happen. And what happens when we're congruent is we have energy centers. They're called chakras by the Hindus. But when we're in congruence, all of those chakras line up. The, 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 and, and so part of the, the process that, that uh, Dr. Joe teaches is moving the energy from the lower chakras up through the heart to connect with the pineal and activating the, 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 the top two chakras which is what the Hindus have taught all along. Joseph Campbell wrote about this years ago. It's nothing new. It's just he's, he's offering a, a technique. So when you sit under a crystal bed, what happens is if there's an, a misalignment with the chakras or the energy centers, there's a, it helps shift the subtle bodies back into congruence. When we're congruent, we have greater access, potency, with the unified field. It's what happens through spiritual practice. This is why we have encouraged meditation practice, because it, we become available to it. That, that clean, hollow vessel. We become that clean, hollow vessel that Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about. So congruence is very important. But when we're in, when we're in opposition with ourselves, when we're, we're disowning part of ourselves, which is the other piece of this that I want to discuss today, so that this idea, it's not what is said, but who says it. And this is inspired by a wonderful book called Partnering, a New Kind of Relationship by Hal Stone and Sidra Stone, and they're a married couple, and they've done this beautiful book called A New Kind of Relationship. And in it, they talk about the ways that we um, don't embrace what we would call the shadow. There's nothing wrong with the shadow. It's not a bad thing. We just don't ma manage it well. So what happens is, what our shadow can become for us is those disowned portions of ourselves. Things that we see in others. So how do we know that we haven't owned it? Because we get supercharged when we see it in another. And so our, our disowned parts of ourselves we project on another person. 
I know that someone, someone gets very, very upset and someone very closely about someone lying. And so what happens is, is that you see, the, you see someone lying because you haven't owned the liar in you. When in fact all that's just happened is they've lied at the end of the day. I mean, it, I mean you make decisions based on that. But what happens when you see it, what's triggering us is part of those disowned parts of ourselves. Or the other piece of that is overvaluing the other person. So there's parts of us that we don't own for ourselves, so we project it onto someone else. Um, you know, I could do that with Carl Jung. I, I think Carl Jung was a brilliant man, and I love and respect because his work was around wholeness. He said, don't, don't go to perfection. Go to wholeness. Live from wholeness. But wholeness is, and he did incredible work with the shadow, but wholeness is owning all of it. So, because what happens is whatever we disown is what we attract. See, in relationships. So what we have in all, we bring it in so someone else can play it out with us. I'm, I'm not trying to upset you with this. I'm just telling you this is how we work. We are magnets for it. So what we haven't owned, we'll bring into our lives. An example of it in this book is she, she, she and he use the example of Bernie and Annie and how partnerships line up. So Bernie's shows up, his primary self. So pr- there's primary selves, there's disowned selves. Primary, primary self for Bernie, he's responsible. Bernie's a solid, responsible guy. Now Annie plays the other part out with Bernie, which is she's a free spirit. And so in the relationship, because somebody see, we live on this continuum and we want to bring it into balance, so we find partners that can play it out for us. Bernie is business-oriented in his primary self, and Annie is creative-oriented. Bernie is work-oriented. Annie is people-oriented. Bernie's cautious. Annie takes risks. Bernie is financially responsible. Annie takes, is financially irresponsible. Bernie's, Bernie's a thinker. Annie's a, th- a feeler. And so she talks about, or he and she talk about, whatever we judge or attack in another person is an expression of a disowned self in us. So when I look at Donald Trump and I get all charged up about something he's done, what I'm doing now is going, man, that's alive in me. And so what I get to say is, so when Donald says something that would sound like misogyny, which misogyny is, is just hating women because they're women. So when I hear Trump do that and I get indignant, I go, oh, that's the misogynist in me that I haven't taken ownership of yet. So what I'm doing now is I visually see myself, and come on in here, buddy. Come on, you're part of this too. I'm not proud of you, but I, and I don't live my life this way, or I'm trying not to, but I tell you what, I want to own it. So that when I hear that from that guy, I can use my, my thinking and my energetic for something more productive than getting resentful and triggered and angry and losing however many hours I'm going to dwell on that, which contributes to nothing. doesn't mean I agree with it. It just means, wait a minute, I need to own this too. So all of it gets to go on the journey because if I can't take all of it with me, if I'm always in opposition to myself, a house divided cannot stand. I can't access the unified field more completely, more fully. So forgiveness work is not about endorsing what somebody's done. It's realizing, okay, I need to put this down I need to put down my projection about this. I need to understand why I'm triggered by this. And it frees me up to be more productive and creative. I mean, Jesus was an example of that on the cross. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He understood these guys were operating at the highest level they could possibly operate. I'm sure it was uncomfortable for him. I'm sure he didn't enjoy it, but he was not energetically going to give himself away to the ignorance. 
He saw it for what it was. But he also didn't punish himself saying, well, I must have done something wrong. That's why they're stringing me up. You know, we talk about embodying the Christ consciousness, but the other side of that, it doesn't end well for a lot of people. So just keep that in mind. I keep that in mind all the time. But this is the basic law of relationship. It's not what is said, but who says it. So once again, if we were coming, we went to the Martin Kerr concert last night and we saw some of you there, it was great, and we, and we left right after Martin performed because I, I, I had to get home and get ready for today. To, well, it wasn't the Martin, it was the Sarah McLaughlin concert, but to me it was the Martin <laughs> Kerr concert. And it was wonderful, but on the way home, there were, we, we walked home and we walked through downtown and I had some change in my pockets. Well, there's a, there's a lot of people down there that are asking for money. And so, as we're going along and, and um, we're doing this walk, I realized I get a chance to practice what I'm going to do tomorrow. And so people come up, and, and th- there could be a tendency, and I've done this in the past, to get annoyed and sort of put on the energy of, you know, get away from me, you know, I'm giving any of my money, you, whatever you did, to, you know, that sort of thing. That's one, okay, so that's over here. That's the expert, the know-it-all. Okay, anybody here at Primary Self, the expert? It's a very popular idea. Got all the answers. Well, the problem is, see, there's nothing wrong with the expert. You need the, you need the charger and the driver sometimes. Sometimes when you've got to get it done, you know, sometimes when the yard needs raking, you just got to go out there and rake. You know, you can't sit inside and go, oh, the yard's raking itself. I'm just, I'm imagining the, you know, like, like Mary Poppins, the, the rake is going by. It's, you can sit there until hell freezes over. You're still going to have to go out there and rake. So you got to get up and you got to do it. But, but the other side of, the, of, the, of the, the expert is the student, the vulnerable child. There's vulnerability. There's chapters in here on vulnerability. So, but when we stand on one leg, if I'm up here, see, my tendency with, with the way I do life, I'm an enthusiast, right? Spontaneous. Man, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. Yeah, good idea. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do it all at once. Now, if I get up and I share that with you from that enthusiast, just on one leg, check you're going to probably say, I have no idea what he just said. But boy, he was sure excited about it, wasn't he? <laughs> so the other part of that, if you study the Enneagram, it's brilliant. I'm going to bring that, some of that next week. I had it this week, and Laura says, too much information. But that's the enthusiast in me, and I say, thank you for that. Take that out. We'll put that in next week. So, but the, the other part of it is focus. The other part of it is discipline. So how can you bring the enthusiast and have the focus so that there's a, 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 an offering that has some simplicity to it. So we're talking about the mustard seed. We're talking about planting a seed. We're talking about creating a fertile ground. We want 45 degrees temperature in that ground for the fertile seed. So what are the conditions? What's the seed? Is it a great seed? See, because we get to determine that. As we do our spiritual practice, our seed gets better. That ground gets better. We nurture it better. There's a mindfulness there because we get into the memorized pattern of saying, no, 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 I'm planting this, I'm nurturing this. Yeah, but did you hear what they said about you? Yeah, 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 great, love them, release them. I'm nurturing this, I'm going with this. So we're walking home from the Rex Rogers place, it was incredible. And Martin was wonderful if you were there. I mean, it was just, it was just, I, I, just I just start crying when I watch him. He's just so, so sweet to watch this. And um, I realize, okay, here, here they come, you know, they're gonna, and I can be the, I can be the, the expert or I can be, you know, selfish or I can just give it all away I can just be over here and I got to give everything away you know I get home and all I got left on are my my jockey shorts you know I mean what's the balance and so I realized you know what I'm going to do I'm going to walk through here in love 
I'm, I'm choosing, I'm planting a seed of love, and we're going to walk through this. So this guy came out of one of the subway, and Laura says, what did he say? I said, I have no idea. But he was really agitated and looking at me, and I just walked up to him, and I said, happy Canada Day. He goes, oh. And it, it, it just drained the energy, because I was sincere. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in love. Laura's go to catch up with her, and there's another guy, and we get to the Jasper Avenue, and there's a guy there, and I've been giving coins out all the way. And I didn't have a ton of them, but I had one loony left, and it was a guy coming across the street, pushing his shopping cart, and probably everything he owned. And he said, please, please. And I said, sure, here you go. And that's, I said, that's everything I have. There you go. And I gave it to him, and we turned to go across the street, and he started screaming at me, thank you. He just, as loud as he could, thank you. And he's, you know, he's only a couple of feet behind me. And finally, I, I thought, I turned around to look at him, and I said, you're welcome. But he, uh, but he shouted, and it was two or three times, and I realized that it wasn't about him wanting to thank me. He just wanted a relationship. He wanted a connection. He wanted to be seen. His soul, there was something alive in him, despite the conditions of his life, that just wanted to be acknowledged. And I thought, you know what? What a great teacher. Next time I'm down here doing this, if I'm going to show up in love, I'm also going to spend the time, create the space, where if I'm committed to love, then I'm more in the quantum field. I'm more in the unified field. And that, as much as the financial uh, assistance that I want to give, becomes my gift. I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? So I get to practice with this guy as a total stranger. We're having this interaction on the street. Because none of it shows up by chance. You know, I'm getting ready to do this talk, and then all of a sudden I have this interchange with this guy. I'm like, well, here it is. So who are you being? Because it's not what is said. It's who says it. And part of spiritual practice for me is understanding who am I being when I say things? Who am I being? That's hard work. Because if I'm always in my primary self, if I have a memorized way of being, and many people do, Donald Trump, God bless him, because he's such a great teacher for us, has a memorized way of being. He's got all the answers. He says whatever he wants to say. Other people's feelings do not concern him. From what I can tell, maybe they do, but I don't think they do. But I mean, he's modeling things for us. He's modeling playing out his primary self as a certain thing, which many, many of us would consider shadow. Could care less. You know, says what he wants to say. But the point is, is that what he's missing out on, because he's on that one leg. We're on that one leg, there's no wholeness. There's no unified field. There's just that primary self that dominates and when we have the wisdom and the clarity to realize, hey, you know what? I can be the tough guy over here and I can be the, the bleeding heart liberal over here. But how can I bring myself back to the center and live a life of integrity and wholeness? And say, okay, the tough guy wants to come with me too. That's how I was raised as a kid. My dad's primary concern with us as a kid was be tough. Don't let anybody take advantage of you. The world's hard out there. You've got to know how to take care of yourself. He'd take us down in the basement after dinner and we'd, we'd learn how to box. Not the girls, just the boys. Sometimes we didn't want to go down there and punch one another in the nose. But the point is, is that that was part of his preparing us. He felt that was a form of act of love. So that guy's in there. But I don't put the boxing gloves on anymore. I have no desire to act that way. But it's in there and I have to embrace it and bring it with me. Otherwise, I push it away and I push it away. And what happens from the people that I've read and what I've seen is that the more we push something away, eventually it comes raging back into our lives. And it's become so overt and over the top, it doesn't make sense. It's incongruent. But the point being, again, is the mindfulness to realize, 
I want to plant a seed of, if I want to plant a seed to move through this gauntlet of, of people that, that need, are in need, how can I do it? How do I choose that? I'm going to do it in love. And, and, and so when you make that decision, then it's not about giving too much or, or, or not giving at all, but it's realizing I will know appropriately how to be in this. And the state of being is just as important. It's more important than what the activity. It's not, it's not uh, what is said, it's who says it. And that takes mindfulness and practice. Whatever is disowned is what we attract. And so if you've learned enough from what you've attracted to this point, maybe it's time to incorporate it. Maybe it's time to look at the world and see who triggers you. In this whole book, there's exercises about that and owning it. Because it shapes the whole relationship in a new and, and, and beautiful way. That Hal and uh, Sidra Stone talk about it. They say, what, imagine what would happen if everybody did this. What if suddenly all over the world people had to stop whatever they had a judgment or were attacking someone and ask themselves, why am I so angry and judgmental? What is it that I'm missing so badly in myself that I cannot bear to see it in someone else? What a different world, what a different kind of partnering it would be. We would see others as, as mirrors of our missing parts and they would become our teachers rather than our enemies. I mean, that's wisdom, isn't it? It's wisdom. And so when we have the awareness to realize, man, this is really triggering me. So what is it within me that is longing for wholeness? What is it that I can bring? Because what happens is, is we make peace with it and we incorporate it. Then we're able to move on this planet in a whole different way. It frees our energy. Then we can move to the unified field more quickly. We were leaving the, the airport last Sunday, or uh, Monday we flew out. And I was in the airport in Mexico and I looked out at the planes. And Joe said this. He said, as you practice these practices, you'll start to move into bliss. There'll be spontaneous moments. You won't be able to plan it, but you'll just move into bliss. And I'm standing and I'm watching a plane go down the runway. And all of a sudden it just came over me. And I told Laura, and it was, you know, it was, it was seconds. It was maybe 10 seconds, but I just said, wow. I just had one of those moments. Now, I've had those in my life before, but I had been in that field so much. You know, Joe measures everything. We did the heart math. I'm pointing at Lewis because he teaches heart math. But you put a monitor on for 24 hours, and they measure the calibration in the room. I mean, they're measuring everything. They've got people with these skull caps on. They're measuring the EEGs. They're, they're measuring all these different sensors in the room. And then he brings the scientists up the last day to talk about the remarkable things that are happening. And people are having remarkable shifts and changes. There's healing going on. And Joe loves the science, so he loves to bring these people out. But the, the calibration in the room the second week, because it was two weeks in a row, was the, the highest it's ever been at one of his events. Now he's been doing these for four years. And I said, well, this would make sense because it's non-local. See, the, 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 the unified field is non-local. It means it's not linear. It's not just here. So I, when we, we, we do our John of God meditation, we tap, t- tap into that energy from there because it's timeless, no time, no space. But I said, well, it would make sense because we're, we are drafting off last week's uh, devotion and meditation. It's not like we're starting fresh. There's a whole group of people that came and helped create the field. So the next week, we were at, like he said, when we first started doing these things, and it's an arbitrary scale to me, but it was 6%, now it's like 17% after four years. But there's an energetic to it that's measured that's quite remarkable. And so, my thought about it, what appeals to me is how can we create more and more of that here within our community? So when people walk in, they go, well, what's, what's so different about this? Well, it's a unified field. 
And we're so, and we're so wise and, 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 uh, and dexterous about understanding what our, our own unhealed stuff is that we have more and more energy to put into what the possibilities are. Joe talks about that this, the unified field is when you create things that have never been created before. He, said, and he says, if I know what I'm creating, I'm not creating from the, unified, from the unknown. But how many of us want to keep creating the same thing over and, and something delightful wants to find us? I love that. Gurdjieff said, you cannot, conscious, you cannot unconsciously become conscious. So unless we have the pieces of awareness about how we disown parts of ourselves, who wants to do shadow work? Who wants to own the, the part of themselves that gets angry, that, that the thief or the liar? We all have the capacity, but because we know what happens, I know what happens when I act that way, I lose part of my soul. And then it's not about deceiving someone. I'm, then I'm just minimizing and marginalizing myself. It's like, I don't want to do that. I've done that before. It takes, I, you know, I don't want to spend the next three years beating myself up because I consciously dis, uh, uh, betrayed somebody. I don't want to do that. You lose your soul. And the other piece of it is, is, is to realize you know what needs to be done and you know what's right, but to acquiesce because, because someone is, is unhappy with who you're being and the decision you've made. That's the same, it's the same thing. It's like then you give yourself up. Hal and Sitter say whenever you have to give away that piece of you to fulfill a relationship, it's over, it's done. So it's, but having the awareness to realize no and to be able to stand in the grace and grounded in, in the love and say, no, that doesn't represent me. I can't go there with you. It's okay. No, I, I won't do that with you. But that takes practice. How many of us got that as kids growing up? I think my mother and father are rolling over in their grave right now as I share this with you. I'm told my mother's standing up here all the time with me by people that can see those things, wherever she is, Mom. <laughs> so what seeds are we planting? Mustard seed, it doesn't have to be huge. But to realize that we're always planting seeds. Always planting seeds. So what, what, what's for me to do? What's mine to do? Always planting seeds. Is, is the field ready? The field is that quantum field. It's a unified field. It's just consciousness. It's oneness. So we practice that and practice that and practice that. And, we're, and, and where we get tripped up or where we get blocked, we get a chance to do the, whatever the work is. What is the quality and capacity of the seed? I went online looking up seeds. There's all kinds of seeds you can buy out there. There's GMOs, which I know, you know seem to be a bad thing, and I don't know enough about it to speak to it, but there's all kinds of variations of seed. And some are wonderful seeds that are conducive to the environment they're going into. Who will tend it? Who will water it? Who will weed it? I continue to, to assure that it will flourish and produce a spectacular harvest. It's up to us, you and I. When will we start? Thursday. Let's start Thursday. <laughs> Let's give ourselves. But the beautiful thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be hard. Part of, like Joe, one of the things uh, Dr. Dispenza does is to go to the heart, access the heart. We did a, two days and two mornings there, we did a walking meditation on the beach. It was wonderful. Oh, 500 people walking the beach, you'd think it was crowded. There was plenty of room for everybody. It's a big beach. It's a big ocean. And Laura and I did it in the River Valley yesterday. And it was just wonderful because Joe guides you through this and he brings you up into that quantum field that helps open you up. We need practices in our lives. We need ways to access that. Part of what I know is that with our movement and what I see happening and, and called to is that we have so much translation. 
We have so many books and things we can read. But we need more transformation. Dr. Holmes said, my fear is we'll have too much um, theory and not enough practice. It's the same idea. How do, we, how do we get the traction to do that, to build that? Because we cannot consci- unconsciously become conscious. It takes work. It takes diligence. It takes practice. Dr. Holmes wrote this, and then I've got a slide I'll share with you. He said, when we turn from the de- destructive emotions, but I want to share it with you again, because hearing it once probably, when we turn from the destructive emotions that are no longer fed by the creative imagination, a transformation takes place. So what if it's just simple as saying, oh, there I go with that thought again. I'm not doing that anymore. Because there's something more interesting and potent that wants to happen. That's huge. Joe says one of the practices, Dr. Joe says one of the practices he tells students is when you start to go down that path again and simply say, change, change, change. I'm not doing it anymore. Change, and that's the awareness. And Dr. Holmes says it right here when they're no longer feeding the creative imagination. He uses the breath at 2 o'clock this afternoon. We'll talk about the breath. A transformation takes place when love destroys hate by absorbing it in its divine flame. The negative state which we have created by unhappiness cannot be healed by adding more unhappiness nor by analyzing the unhappiness we already have. Rather, it is healed as we turn to the contemplation of wholeness. Filling the consciousness with joy lifts grief out of itself until it no longer exists. The contemplation of wholeness. So from that, what I've taken, because I need a little piece, I need a little seed. So when I start to go in and Joe, in his guided meditations, Joe will say, so what is it you're for? One of my qualities is wholeness. Because for wholeness, it means, oh, I want all of it to go. I don't want to keep pushing down all the stuff that I'm embarrassed about. No, no, that's part of who I am too. And it's got room now. We have to grow the capacity to say, that's, you know, I can have that with me too. I want the dark and the light. I want the wholeness so I can move into that unified field. Because the darkness then gets transformed, as Dr. Holmes is talking about. It's a beautiful thing. So the last slide, and I love this. This is from Words That Heal Today, same book. Everyone possesses an integrity with himself, within himself. Everyone. In which no, no one but himself can violate. Everyone holds the key to the kingdom in his own hand. No one can live by proxy. Everyone stands naked and alone. Everyone has life within himself. The communion of the soul with its source comes through the recognition that the innermost spirit of man is the incarnation of God, Christ manifesting himself in humanity. It's a beautiful tradition, and it's so true. So true. And when you have that experience, it's just lovely. Everything shifts and changes. And I long to have more of that myself, and I long to be part of that with you as well. Because then we, we, we invite the greater yet to be and the unknown. And we can stand in awe with it and see what, what wants to blossom. You know, if Martin Kerr can start out in 2005 playing, busking on the streets here in Edmonton and going and doing the house concerts and all of a sudden he's on the stage at Rogers, you know, anything and everything is possible. And it's not about that achievement, it's about the consciousness that he expresses and the creativity he's releasing upon this planet. Those just happen to be the avenues for it. And it's so wonderful to celebrate that. And I look at Martin as he's standing there and I go, that's for me. That's for me. That's what I want to experience. And I'm experiencing with him. I'm like, oh my gosh. Thank you for your courage and commitment because what he did is he planted a seed. Somewhere along the line, Martin Kerr said, I am a musical artist. 
And he stood up in front of everybody yesterday and he said, I've spent 10 years supporting my family through music alone. Because he made the commitment. He planted the seed. He nurtured it. You know, I think a few years back, I said to Laura, I said, I wish Martin would write some new songs. He hasn't written anything new. We know all the songs. He was kind of, you know, the stuff was getting from that. And all of a sudden, the light went on, and he started writing all his beautiful songs. I thought, oh, this is so beautiful. I'm just, not, not that I, I had very little to do, but I get to witness it and be inspired by it. And it's possible for all of us. That's for you. That's for me. We're here to live more and more in the unified field and make the uncommon common. That's our opportunity. That's our joy. That's our possibility. Love you all. Thank you so much. Blessings.